0: Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast, where we are in a series called Questions, God, Faith, Life, and the Challenge of Being Human. Today we're talking all things sexuality. we got a fun little story for you to start off with, and then we're going to talk about this question. How was sexuality talked about when you were growing up? Enjoy. Having a light conversation again today on uh, sexuality. Do you know anything about this conversation? Nope. Well, let me introduce Never. you. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I feel like Dave just preached our sermon. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> so
0: like I think the microphone was on the wrong person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we're done. Well, thanks, thanks for, for coming, us. everyone. Uh, really, this is New
1: Abby. It was really yeah. fun.
0: I like that he's telling you that he can ask you questions about being African American. Mm-hmm. Right? When I ask her about Beyonce, she's just like, "You just, you wouldn't understand." Yeah, he wouldn't so. Understand, yeah. <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> it's a different and I don't. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's I'm gonna tell approach. you that right now. I'm it's like, you not know, like that video. She's like going back in a chair. I don't know. I don't get
1: it. it, don't get it. Uh, yeah. So this morning we are talking about sexuality. Great.
0: Great, okay, here we go.
1: So, yeah, no. We, oh, you, me.
0: Oh yeah, so our office upstairs was like busted up this week because yeah. there was some construction going on. So we did what any reasonable people would do. We spent time in her pool preparing in the sermons for, yeah. for the sermon. So that was really great. And so somewhere in that process, uh, we just were telling stories <laughs> and laughing and crazy things were happening. Yeah,
1: right. And yeah.
0: uh, as we're talking about sexuality, you began to tell this narrative about like, man, I was really pure.
1: Yeah, I grew up in the 90s, right? Like my, yeah, developmental years. Um, So it was like big purity culture, right? The big thing my whole life was just like, just don't have sex before marriage and that probably makes you a good Christian. And-
0: um, All that Jesus cared about was that. and so
1: my whole life, I just remember getting so much praise for not having sex. And my friends would be like, you know, you're dating these guys, like, you know, isn't it hard? And I'd be like, no, you just, just don't do it, you know? <laughs> I don't know. And you know, maybe
0: it was line, weird. I yeah. just when they wanted to go there, I was just like, Meh.
1: Nope. Probably shouldn't. The Bible. The Bible, yeah. guys. Yeah. So I just uh yeah, and i have so many conversations and you know, well, what do you know I'd be like, ah you just gotta you just gotta get mentally strong and just <laughs> yeah. Just say no, yeah. you know? Um, it's, it's that yeah, easy. It's, I mean, I have
0: the ring on. It's yeah. worth waiting for. So yeah, she good.
1: love weights, and I don't know what to tell you. So yeah. um, I, we were laughing so hard because, like, learning more of the story of my life started to open up. It started to make more sense. I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah I get it, yeah. right? Feel bad for all the friends that I shamed into saying, like, I don't you know. Just, just, do just do stop. It. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. Maybe. And then you but, said,
0: then I met Sammy.
1: Yeah, and I was I, like, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> It all I get makes it. sense it's all, it's Yeah, it's very yeah. attractive. So, um, yeah. So I think today our our goal and our hope is to widen the conversation, right? So as more of my story started to unfold myself, things started to make more sense. That felt like just inconsistent in the moment, right? Like I don't know why this is easy for me. I I'm just holy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So that's our hope today as we kind of dive into this conversation and make it. Make it make some sense.
0: So in New Abbey fashion, we're going to have a conversation to start. Here's the question for us. How was sexuality talked about when you were growing up? Find two or three (laughs) or four people around you. And as I always say, if you know those people, that's boring. Find somebody else. Enjoy. There's a few things that we need to do today. First, we need to tell you the process of how we got here to this sermon and why we're going to talk about the things that we're going to talk about. Then we need to talk about Romans 1, everybody's favorite passage in the Bible. If you don't know what that is, it'll get fun real quick. Then we need to talk about what it means to be under 3,000 feet of water because we all are and maybe we don't realize it. Then we need to talk about some inconsistencies, how we miss the point, and the ignorance of we just don't know what we don't know, and then we'll land a plane. But if we're going to do all that, first we need to talk about where we're going so that you have a better understanding of what this is all about. Listen to this passage from Galatians. It says, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Here's why this is really helpful. The whole Bible is on this massive trajectory towards transformation of all of humanity and us individually are a part of this process. And Paul in the book of Galatians and in other parts of the Bible is saying, that's where we're going. But here's what we do often in the United States is we give little sound bites of specific little pieces of scripture and we don't know the trajectory of where the plane is going. It's always about transformation. And so the whole book of Galatians is Paul saying to another church father, Peter, saying, stop interfering with people's transformation because you're worried about if they're getting certain skin cut up or not. That was a Jewish way of thinking in which you put certain hoops in front of people back there because you thought in order for them to become Christian, they had to do this thing first. But Paul says, that's not what it's about. It's about moving towards transformation all of this other stuff in these laws and these religious moralities that you're trying to create just get in the way sometimes. So stop focusing on the crumbs of the Bible and let's take a look at the whole pie.
1: Yeah, so uh, Corey and I, this, this week as we're preparing for the sermon, we start, and it's funny looking at our, like when we are uh, teaching together, I like to take notes from like the beginning of the, like when we start talking about it all the way to the end, because it's funny how much it always changes. So the, ve- the very beginning of our notes, we were like, let's take the seven scriptures that talk about, mm. you know, same-sex anything, and then, let's, and then we're like, okay, like we don't wanna just stand up here and be Bible answer person, right? We want to help in creating a larger conversation. Um, we are going to talk about Romans 1 today because it is important, because like we say here a lot at New Abbey, we do take the Bible very seriously. Um, We take it seriously enough to really look at it, to take the passages that have been used and abused, and and hopefully open them up and and understand the context of what they're being said. But as we were talking this week, we were like, obviously the church and the LGBTQ community have like, you know, a little bit of a rift between them, right? (laughs) Um, But like, as you all were talking... Uh, earlier, who felt like they were just like, man, I feel like I grew up with like, a really healthy view of sexuality across the board in church. Cool, so. And the hands um, go wild. Yeah, and realizing that, we were like, okay, how do we have a conversation that opens up a bigger conversation to help us all understand that the way we have taken little sound bites and pieces of scripture has, has created an unhealthy, oppressive, realm of sexuality and understanding that we all live in. And so when we talk about that, Corey and I just started saying, it's like we're under 3,000 feet of water. We are all under immense pressure, where we live, societally, how we grew up, in understanding sexuality, our own, someone else's, any, like anything, right? And so how do we understand the power dynamics that have got us there? How do we talk about Romans 1? Um, but we just don't wanna stand up here and answer questions about the Bible, we wanna create a conversation. That being said, at the end of today, if you have specific questions about something, we have a ton of resources we can point you to, and we are gonna have a conversation about Romans 1, but we hope it's bigger than that, and so we hope that we hit on more than than just one thing
0: that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, so Romans 1 says this. They traded the truth about God for a lie. By the way, this is really like light reading if you want to like, have a coffee in the morning and just be very relaxed about what God's doing in the world. So, they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. And men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and everybody's favorite, gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful, and they invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. I like that last part though, right? Yeah. And they're not very kind to mom and dad, am I right? They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. Romans 1, 25 through 31. What do you do with that? Yeah, first... Let me say, I'm sorry to anyone in this room for every time that the church used a passage like this to repress you or oppress you or to limit the kind of human being that you could be in Jesus. Because that breaks my heart. Now, let's open this bad boy up, shall we? Romans 1 has nothing to do with telling homosexual people in our current context that their lives are sinful or evil or not justified in the creation of God. That is not what Romans 1 is doing. People who look at Romans that way are taking the Bible very literally and most of the time they don't understand how to take the Bible seriously. And what's interestingly enough about that is that most of the people who take the Bible literally pick and choose to do it in places like Romans 1, but don't do it in other places when we're talking about things like the firmament, because we all believe, of course, that there's giant pillars holding up the earth right now because the world is flat and there is no such thing as like a galaxy or solar system. Am I right? No. So it's not helpful to take the Bible literally when that's not how it was meant to be read. The Bible was meant to be taken seriously so that we have this deeper understanding of the truth that's underneath it. So what I want to do is go on like a two hour journey through every biblical text and the entire narrative, and we're gonna parse and break apart every Hebrew word and Greek word and theology for the last 3,500 years and like really demolish this thing. For the sake of your time and sanity, I am not going to do that today. (laughs) Instead, I want to take Romans 1 seriously, and we can always have a broader conversation at other points about how we got to all of these conclusions. So before we get to Romans 1, I want to point out a teaching that Jesus gave in Luke 12. Listen to this short passage from Luke 12. It says, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. In this passage in Luke 12, someone comes to Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. And then there's this story uh, about this man who has this incredible wealth in front of him. And this man, what he does is he says to Jesus, "'I'm gonna build bigger barns. I have so much wealth, my harvest is so plentiful that I know the best thing that I can do with my wealth is just build bigger barns so that I have more stuff.' And then Jesus says, "'Beware, Guard against greed. And this word here is pleonexia in the Greek. Go ahead and say pleonexia with me. It's going to be your favorite word at the end of this because you said it with so much passion. Thank you. (laughs) The word greed here is incredibly important as we take the Bible seriously. Because what happens in Luke 12 is after this person builds the big barns, then it says in the story, You fool! This very night, God is going to take your life from you. How good were the barns anyways? What has happened over the last 500 years, and we talk about this a lot at New Abbey, is that there's a big portion of taking the Bible seriously that we are unable to do most of the time as Americans, because we happen to be the most powerful people that planet earth has ever seen. And so the Bible, from beginning beginning, to end is a commentary against power structures that exist in the world. But if you happen to be the most powerful people that the world has ever seen, what do you not want people talking to you about? Your power. And so then what happens is, because we are unable to see the scriptures commentating against the power structures of our lives, what we do is we start to scapegoat things. So instead of Roman ones, Romans 1, being about the idolatry of the abuse of power in this world, we scapegoat and say, look at the gay people over there. Synonym, am I right? They don't even like mom and dad. Hmm." (laughs) Instead of saying, no, 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 no. That's not even what this passage is about. That's not even what the Bible is about. And these other two verses that you want to utilize in the Old Testament were never for Christians in the first place because we've already seen Galatians and we've seen Acts and we know the broader narrative that the early church fathers are debating this reality of stop trying to put Jewish laws on people when it's about freedom in Christ. We know that the other two passages in the New Testament is all about how you interpret a Greek word, and whether you know it or not, when you're reading an English version of the Bible, you are reading a very specific theology that somebody is handing you, unless you happen to do a lot of studying in Greek and Hebrew. So those words themselves don't play out with a lot of weight and, uh, and power in the world of biblical theology, and everyone comes back to Romans 1 to say, now this is the verse that we're going to debate if we're going to talk about homosexuality. But then what happens is that we debate the verse about homosexuality and we miss the broader pie because we're so busy subdividing this little piece of crumb of what we call the scriptures that speak against the very specific sexual acts of a man with a man and a woman with a woman but that's never what the passages are about in the first place. So, let's take a step back now that we have an understanding of pleonexia. Pleonexia is the word for greed that Jesus used in that passage. It's also the same word for greed that's used in Romans 1. Pleonexia is all about power. It's about this reality. If you live in a world where when you get a little bit and you keep taking more and more and more and you hoard that for yourself, that is called sin. That is called pleonexia. And whether you're talking about money, you're talking about relationships, you're talking about sex, pleonexia always disrupts the world. And so what we need to do is move away from an arbitrary list of understanding sin. Here's how sin is often talked about. God was bored after creating all of creation and just started saying, I want to see if I can create a few rules like Santa Claus just to see if they can or cannot do it. Had sex before marriage? Ha ha, the joke's on you, right? Right? That's how we've talked about God for thousands of years, that God is bored and just creates arbitrary lists to see if somehow you can manage to keep those lists straight. No pun intended again, right? Right? <laughs> This is not what God is doing. Now what we need is a broader understanding of sin, one that goes like this. Sin is simply the palpable disruption of shalom. Shalom is God's wholeness, God's harmony, and God's desire for all of creation. And from the very beginning of scripture, God creates everything and it's good. And God is always desiring for wholeness and harmony to exist in the world. Arbitrary lists don't handle that a broader understanding of sin does. When we understand pleonexia and disruptions of power, now we can begin to break down a broader understanding of sin. For example, when you hoard wealth and you don't distribute that wealth to people in need, you are participating in sin. You are disrupting the shalom of the world because you have the resources and you are not offering it to people whose shalom is not whole and filled with harmony, right? And so now you're participating in pleonexia and power, and that is messing up the structures in the world. When we talk about sexuality, this is the one on the news all the time. If priests are taking advantage of small children, that is pleonexia. Why? Because it's an abuse of power. A person in power is taking advantage of somebody who has no power. Go on and on and on and read the lists of sin that we call the arbitrary list at time in the Bible and start reading it through the perspective of pleonexia and power disruption and you're going to begin to have a very different view of what God's doing with sin in the world. Because what happens at times is when we read Romans 1 and we're coming from a culture that only took it literally, then what we begin to do with the Bible is just dismiss it. But what I'm saying is, You can still live in a world of taking the Bible seriously and having powerful words like sin and utilizing them in a way that better makes sense of the real humanity that you deal with every single day. So I don't throw out those words. I say, I need a word like sin because I need to deal with the realities that shalom is being disrupted every day. In fact, shalom is being disrupted every day in a ton of ways with sexuality. It's being disrupted at times when we repress people because of their sexuality, right? Because you want to talk about hoarding all of the barns? Imagine being straight and saying, I'm allowed to fall in love and get married and have a relationship and have sex whenever I want. Oh, but you, you want to put different skin on different skin? Well, I guess you must live in abstinence and by yourself and single all the time. That sounds a lot like play on next to you to me. That sounds a lot like you live in a power and position of privilege and you want to hoard what's going on with the barns out there. That's called repression and oppression, right? If you've ever been uh, around youth, they're always asking the question of how far is too far, which is a question of how far can I take this power that I have and utilize it to get what I want sexually from another human being, right? And we've participated that in a lot in our culture. We want sexuality to be a thing like pornography where we get what we want when we want it and we get a catalog what we want. That is pleonexia. Do you see the difference of how that is hoarding the power in the barns and how two people being in a mutual relationship where they love one another is not what pleonexia is talking about? Now, how do I know that from Romans 1? Well, now we have context. And what's going on in Romans is an agreement that we would all agree upon about the kind of pleonexia that Paul is talking about. The, the, the things that Paul's not talking about is that sexual immorality is somehow linked to gay people, lesbian people, people of different sexual orientations participating in a monogamous relationship with one another. That's not even on the radar of who Paul is and what Paul is doing in Romans. What Paul completely understands is what's taking place in the Greek world and he's speaking against that, which is the reality that in temple worship at the time, you would take young children and you would use them to have sex with the priests and the other people who would come to the temple. And if you don't have that context in Romans 1, you're going to have a really hard time reading this passage and you're tending and to lead literally. But the whole of the passage, the reason that it has the scriptures in there about honoring mom and dad and greed and gossip and malice, what are all of those things capable of? An abuse of power. When you use your words in a dangerous way, what does it do to people? It disrupts their shalom. When you live in an ancient context 2,000 years ago, where everything is predicated on the family system, and you have children who are quarreling with their parents, what are you participating in? The disruption of shalom. When you have people who are hoarding all of their money as they were doing in the Roman world, Right? Where 1% of the population, very unlike our world, controls all of the wealth and other people are starving and dying out there, what are you participating in? The disruption of shalom. When you have people who are going to a temple to have sex with little children as a means of worshiping their gods, what are you participating in? The disruption of the world. And the context of it matters a lot. And so every other time where you see the scriptures talk about sexual immorality, guess what phrase also comes up? Pleonexia. Isn't it fascinating that most of the times when the New Testament talks about sexual immorality, it also talks about greed? And then what happens is, see, people start hearing words like sexual immorality, and they start saying, oh, look, it's talking about this, this, and this, and this, even though none of those things are listed, whatever those things might be. But it's always leading to a broader reality of anytime that you abuse the power of sex, you're gonna disrupt the shalom of somebody else, right? And that's why anytime that you're greedy, you're gonna disrupt the shalom of the world. And so the Bible is moving towards a greater trajectory in Romans one. If you take it literally, you're gonna be stuck in a lot of places. But you know what? I'll give you another 100 scriptures where you're gonna get really stuck if you wanna play the literal game. If you wanna go seriously, and see the trajectory of where the scriptures are going, if you want to see the scriptures that say there's no longer male nor female, right? There's no longer Greek nor Jew, right? There's no longer rich nor poor. If you want to participate in that kind of world, in a world where the kingdom of God was disrupting the power structures of the world, where senators and slaves were all of a sudden having dinner together, right? That's what was happening in early Christianity. Now you see, oh, that was the goal. The goal was to get away from the power structures that disrupted us. The goal wasn't to create a list of arbitrary sins just to see if we could pull it off or not, because that's not a God worth following anyways. That's pretty petty. Instead, we have a God who says, I love your sexuality so much. I want you to find freedom in who you are in it and begin to ask really, really serious questions about your sexuality that doesn't begin to disrupt the shalom of other people's sexuality. Now that's a bigger way of understanding the Bible.
1: got really lost in that. That was great. forgot yeah. <laughs> we were doing this together. Uh, yes.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. In our meetings, they said, this part will be four minutes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was like, he's on a roll. Just go. Yeah, yeah. basically go four, four and a half. Yeah. That yeah. Was That's, that was about four minutes. That was good. Um, yeah, and so uh, as we were talking about Roman one, Romans 1 and we look at it uh, under the scope of power, and oppression and repression. And like we were talking about earlier, we're all under this structure that's 3,000 feet of pressure uh, on us. We, can, we cannot, when you're under that much pressure, not only do you feel the weight of that, but you can't see the light at the top. And so we were talking about what happens, not just with uh, people who are gay, but what happens in a society that views uh, sexual immorality in such a distorted way. And the first thing that happens is it becomes so inconsistent, right? We have these tremendously inconsistent views of sexuality. And I was telling Corey the story. Um, I was talking with some friends who all worked at a church and uh, we're all into very, very into the show Scandal. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Probably not, because you're all in church on Sunday, but um, it's a good show. And um, it's almost getting too real to like watch anymore. But anyways, so we're talking about Scandal. We're all really into Scandal. And Scandal has, I don't know, a thousand sex scenes. Most of them are Kerry Washington and a number of characters. Mm
0: -hmm. And so... um, Sometimes at once. Yeah. No? No? I didn't see that, no. No. Have you ever seen (laughs) Scandal? I don't know if that's true or not, it just felt right. I don't know. Um, It just felt right, yeah.
1: So we, and we would always, on Sunday, we'd go and we'd talk, did you see Scandal? Did you see Scandal? So right, this whole thing. And there's one episode of Scandal and there were two men. And so there's a sex scene between these two men. Um, As there are sex scenes in in every episode of Scandal, and so uh, and another another something else like really wild that happened in the show, and so I remember going and being like, "Did you guys see Scandal?" Right, and they're like, "We don't watch that anymore." I'm like, "Why?" You know what I mean? They're like, "Ah, that scene with the," and I'm like, "Sorry, every other scene with like Kerry Washington and the NSA guy, Kerry Washington and the president, Kerry Washington, and and then Huck and Quinn who like." torture people with like drills and in a yes. weird like, oh, but that was too much, yeah. right? And they're just like, yeah, I don't know. And so we, I, it left me with this, this, as we're talking about this week, I was thinking about that story and I was like, we don't even realize how much pressure we're under, but it's making us incredibly inconsistent, right? We see that with how we treat men versus how we treat women, how we talk about sex in so many things because we can't, we're under pressure, we can't see the top, and nothing is fluid, it all feels inconsistent. It's weighing down on all of us, and it's affecting us. And so we're not looking at people and saying, are we becoming a new creation, are we being transformed? We're saying, do we fit into the societal norms? Because when you're under that much pressure, and you can't see the top, you're gonna take whatever anyone gives you. And what our society is giving us is inconsistent lenses to see the LGBTQ community, to see men, to see women, to see anyone, um, tweets that are you know, affecting how we see the trans community. All we can take is what someone's giving us because we, we don't have the wherewithal to see sort of what's, mm-hmm. what's available on the surface.
0: And we all answer that reality, right? That most of us experience a world where sexuality was not talked about in a healthy way. It was either talked about in a repressive way or it was talked about in a way culturally sometimes of just get as much as you can and get it now, right? Both are the disruption of shalom and do not help you live to be the fullest human being possible. The example of scandal is Right? That's an arbitrary list that somebody created that says, I'm down to party with all of these things. Oh, two men slept together? I can't watch that show anymore. Like, no, 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 no. You just missed the trajectory of everything else that you just said. You don't see how that's inconsistent? I remember when I was in South Africa 10 years ago, uh, we were on this missions trip and we were there for a month, and South Africa has the largest population of kids under 10 who have HIV. And I'm talking to the churches there and I'm saying, what are your initiatives to hand out condoms? Like, oh, we're not going to hand out condoms. We're just doing abstinence training. I think you've missed the boat, right? I think you're missing the point. Because what you want to do is take this thing so literally, you're no longer taking seriously the context that you're in. And the Bible is much more interested in taking seriously the context that you're in. So much so, that even the book of Galatians has Paul saying to Peter, you're a fool, right? Because you want us to live like the Christians live in Jerusalem, but now we live in Galatia. And guess what, we experience Jesus in a different way. That commentary is in the Bible for a reason, why? So that 2,000 years after the fact, you don't have people colonizing South Africa and saying, you know what we need to do? Everybody practice abstinence, even though millions of people are getting pregnant with a deadly disease that is killing them. It's missing the point. And we're not taking seriously the wisdom of God that's about life because we have one particular view of potentially marriage or what sex is, instead of saying, are we asking better questions about sexuality here? Are we going to be so stringent upon keeping the arbitrary list that we're not going to take seriously the fact that millions of children are going to die at a young age? And they're going to pass the disease on to other people because most people in South Africa are getting pregnant under 16 years old? I don't think that's the best way of. Oh, hello. Thematics. He's trying to tell me something. And that's a wrap. wrap
1: (laughs) You're really going long, big
0: guy. And with that, I'm really going to stop on that part because it's kind of hard to pick up where I was going. Of missing the point. There's so many examples that we've all participated in where we have conversations about sexuality. And are like, I think you're missing the point of what the scriptures actually care about. And they care about the wisdom and truth that you live the healthiest life possible that leads you towards shalom and wholeness in God.
1: Yeah. And we were talking about this and we were talking about the story uh, when the Pharisees didn't, were mad at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath.
0: Yeah, all the time, right? How much did Jesus get pissed off at at, at the conservative elite who loved the scriptures, by the way, back in Jesus's day? And what would he tell them? So you're trying to tell me that I can't heal the blind man on the Sabbath because it's one of the rules? No, 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 no. You're missing what the rules are pointing towards. The rules are pointing towards life. So when I see sick people on the Sabbath, I heal them immediately. Why? so that they can have the best life possible. I don't sit around saying, this blind person will have to see on Monday, right? That's crazy talk, but we do that with sexuality all the time.
1: So we're talking about this, and we're talking about how one of the other things that happens when you're under 3,000 feet of, of water, when you're under this pressure, is just an extreme ignorance, right? And unfortunately, you don't know what you don't know. I look back at times in my own life And even now with not even my sexuality, my spirituality and understanding of God, I am like chewing through books like I can't even contain myself because someone is finally putting language to something that I always wondered, was it there, right? But until you know that, you don't know it. Um, And there's just, there's so many things that we don't know. I I was like joking, telling Corey, I worked, uh, I was an RD at a Christian college and I had 250 freshman female students that I was, overseeing or whatever, and I just started to hear them say some weird things um, about their bodies, uh, about sex, and so I said, okay, I'm gonna put a box in the dorm lobby. It'll be there for a week, some papers and pens, write down any question you have about your body or, or sex for the next week, and in a week, we're gonna sit down, We're just gonna, they're all anonymous, we're gonna go through them. It was very shocking. Um, basic questions about anatomy, basic questions about how a person can get pregnant. And these are like 19-year-old year old young women, right? So, um, and I just remember left feeling like, we have done a disservice to this, these 250 girls who, who are, are trying to navigate this world and their sexuality and their understanding of intimacy but we haven't given them any of the tools they need to figure it out, right? We have said, you don't know what you don't know, so never know it, and then hope for the best. You know what I mean, I don't know. Um, And so how do we, Corey and I were just like, with, with everything I feel like that's, you know, like I said, I'm learning in my life about sexuality, about scripture, about God, about being married, about budgeting, about anything that I don't know what I don't know. Yesterday I spent seven hours Making a family budget, okay? So like nine of those out, and nine of those seven hours, that's how confusing it was. <laughs> I feel like I was on Google asking, how do two people share an account? How do you do Bill? you know what I mean? It's just you don't know what you don't know. And so how do we, if we're saying there's a bigger narrative about sexuality, if we're saying a lot of us in this room have felt inconsistent, we felt like we've been given narratives that miss a point, we're all under this extreme pressure, we can't see the top, so and we don't know what we don't know, how, create, how do we create a culture and a climate and an environment that says there's an invitation to the continual transformation of a new creation? Like we say all the time at New Abbey, this isn't a, so raise your hand if you have an unhealthy view of sexuality, and when you leave here, you'll be better, right? This is all a long Healed conversation. Immediately. Yes, it's a long conversation that we all get to be a part of, Of so what does this new creation look like? How do I get closer to that? Where, do, where is ple- pleionexia in my life with sexuality or with anything else, and how do I continually ask questions to learn what I don't know? It's like Dave was saying earlier, Yeah, he's down to be an ally for whoever, but maybe he doesn't even know who whoever is, right? But he's he's interested in finding out, and that's a part of the long conversation that we want to be participating in here.
0: Yeah, and the wisdom of Scripture is that, right? I want to be open to the other. I want to be open to broader conversations. I want to be open to the inconsistencies that are in my own life. I wanna be open to all of the places that I'm missing the point and not experiencing this fuller new life in Jesus in which all of us get to be this greater creation than we were before. I don't wanna be an oppressed person when it comes to sexuality because oppressed people oppress people, right? When you live under a world of 3,000 feet of pressure and sexuality, guess what you pass on to other people? A lot of unhelpful information about how to navigate what it means to be a follower of Jesus in 2017 in a place like Los Angeles. So, you probably spout Bible verses or say things theologically that are highly inconsistent with how you're actually living. Mm -hmm. And maybe what needs to be talked about is how you're actually living and how God wants to make a new creation there, not in the places that you think that you ought to be. And maybe that's more consistent with the gospel and the good news and this kingdom that Jesus invites us into than in an arbitrary list in which none of us were good at keeping, anyways. And so, maybe where we start today is simply saying, yeah. I've been under 3,000 feet of water when it comes to sexuality. I still need words like sin. I still need to understand this broader shalom and wholeness and new creation that God wants to bring me into, but I don't wanna participate in the disruption of shalom anymore when it comes to sexuality. And so maybe where you're at today is saying, I have a lot of repression. People have been telling me arbitrary lists that don't give me any life and any freedom, and they don't give me any wiggle room or places to grow and you're saying, I don't want that life anymore. God, in this place, as we row a boat together, as we have honest conversations, I'm not healed today, but I'm beginning a conversation today that says, I wanna get to the surface, I wanna get out of this pressure, and I wanna see a light about a whole or sexuality that makes sense for my life. Maybe some of you are saying, it's not just repression, but it's oppression. There's oppression going on in my life in a lot of ways when it comes to sexuality. Because whether you're heterosexual or homosexual or whatever, there's all kinds of things in our culture that are utilized all the time, which become coping mechanisms to deal with our own pains and our own woundings and our own insecurities and our own pride. And I know that there are people in this room who are saying I'm living in a way in which sexuality is oppressing me. I am participating with things that our culture offers us in a way that is disrupting the shalom of the world. And I don't wanna live there anymore. Because whether I know it or not, that type of sexuality is leaking as well, and oppressed people, oppressed people. But instead, what we're gonna say is the life that we want is a life in Christ, in which we're all new creations, in which God accepts us exactly where we're at, in which we get to take seriously the trajectory of the Bible, and the trajectory is out there in which all things are healed, and all things are reconciled, and all things are renewed. But it starts with our participation and accepting an invitation to saying, I want a life of shalom, I want something bigger, and I'm refusing to accept the arbitrary lists that have been given to me, and I'm moving into this life with Christ. So we do that, not by some magical moment, we do that by conversation. We do that by you hearing one another, and by you listening to one another, you saying, oh yeah, I'm under 3,000 feet of water too. This is a conversation for the LGBTQ community, this is a conversation for the straightest, whitest male dude in here, which might be me. This is a conversation for everybody because we're human beings and God has more for us. And we need to accept that challenge together. So let's answer these questions. Is there an area that you want to be free from the 3,000 feet of pressure? Is it an inconsistency? Is it an area that you're missing the point, right? Is it an area in which you're just ignorant? Maybe it's repression in your life. Maybe it's oppressive. I get that you're gonna be in a group and you're not ready to tell your deepest, darkest secret potentially to someone right next to you. Fair enough but think about these opportunities that you can invite people into the journey, enjoy.